To set the scene, it has been about 40 days since Jesus Christ was raised from the grave. His disciples and uh, he have been interacting with each other. He has been instructing them, equipping and preparing them to carry forth the mission uh, that uh, he has been articulating with the whole of his life up to this point. And he's been talking with them about the role they're going to have now in the mission going forward. And the fact that they are struggling to get this, to really take in what he's been trying to say to them all along is evidenced in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6 where we read, and I quote, Then the disciples gathered around Jesus and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, after all of the time that they have spent with him up to this point, the disciples are still thinking that Jesus has come to throw out the tyrannical power of Rome. They are still holding this understanding of Jesus' messiahship in very political and military terms. And they're hoping that he's going to throw out Rome and establish Israel as an independent political kingdom. Jesus, however, has his eye on a much larger kind of revolution, far uh, more significant, world-altering kind of revolution. Christ's aim was nothing less than to throw out the power of sin and establish his kingdom in every human heart. His goal is to throw out the ultimate tyranny not that which comes from the outside, but that which works on us from the inside, and to establish from within a new kind of kingdom that will then move out through human behavior and action to change the external world. And this is the nature. When Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, he's saying, this is the nature of power as I think about it. And he's been trying to get the disciples to appreciate it. Because the first disciples we're still missing it at this point. Jesus goes on to say to them on that day long ago, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father is set by his own authority. And by that he means it's not for you to know when God is going to finally and fully restore the whole of his creation. But here's what you can know, Jesus is about to tell them. Here's what you can know, here's what you can put your trust in. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other words, the change in power you guys keep looking for out there. How many times do we hear people uh, talking as if our great hope as a human species is in better governments out there? Not to say that better governments would not be beneficial for all of us in all times, but but Jesus is trying to help them understand that what I want to give you in here is the ultimate gift, so that you will be my witnesses, so that your life will flow out in a way that witnesses to my nature and to my kingdom, and you will be a witness like this in Jerusalem, right where you live, in uh, all Judea, in the region around you, in Samaria, the places you find it scary to go, and to the very ends of the earth. After he said this, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. 
or as the Apostles' Creed would soon put it, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. When our oldest child was a little boy, one of his simple joys was obtaining a helium balloon. I mean, you could make the kid's day by giving them a, a helium balloon. Maybe your kids love those too. You, 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 you might as well have given him a flying puppy on a leash. <laughs> it was just that exciting for our little one, and he'd walk along, you know, tugging on the screen, on the string, and watching the balloon uh, uh, bouncing in the air. It was just a tremendous, guaranteed thrill for him until he lost his grip on the string. You've been there, right? And in a nanosecond, the moment would go from this delirious joy to this total meltdown as the balloon rose up and up and up and out of sight. And of course, eventually as parents, we learned you gotta tie the string around the wrist or to the stroller or something like that. But the first time that balloon went up, it was not a great family moment for us. <laughs> when I picture those disciples gazing up into the sky as Jesus went away, I think it must have been a pretty rough family moment. Uh, I should tell you that we've got no idea actually whether Jesus ascended in the way that a helium balloon does. Uh, the biblical text simply says that he was taken up and that a cloud hid him from their sight. Uh, we remember that the scriptures often use the image of a cloud to suggest the presence of an enveloping mystery of God's action. And the statement that Jesus was taken up could, I suppose, just as easily mean that he disappeared as that he rose vertically like some kind of a balloon or skyrocket. Any way you understand the imagery that's there, if I were one of those disciples, the moment would be a rough one. Like a kid leaping to try and reach for a disappearing string, I'd wanna say, wait Jesus, come back. Wait, there's still so much to be done. Don't leave us, this job you've given us, it's too big, we can't do it without you. Can you understand something of that feeling the disciples may likely have felt that day? Have you ever felt like it was actually a bad thing that Jesus ascended into heaven? That it would have been far better if he just stayed around a lot longer, even into our time, to be here physically present with us and to guide us through all of the challenges of our lives. I can think of a few people who would probably improve the world by leaving it, but Jesus isn't one of them. So how is it not like a great coach leaving her team on the verge of the championship game? How is this ascension not like a, a great general retiring on the eve of the revolution he has planned? How could it be a good thing that Jesus ascended into heaven? Well, it's interesting to note that as natural as that kind of a sentiment is, I suppose, it's not the way that centuries of Christians thought about it. I don't know if you 
are aware of this, but for many, many centuries, Ascension Day, which by the way was just this past Thursday, was celebrated with as much vigor and joy as Christmas and Easter in the Christian community. Wow. There was a much pomp and circumstance and excitement about Ascension Day as about Christmas and Easter. Why was that? How is it that Christians looked at this particular event in that kind of a positive uh, way? In fact, some parts of Europe today, it's still a national holiday, Ascension Day is, though most don't think about the roots of that tradition any longer. These days, Ascension Day, if it ever gets even mentioned at all, is lost somewhere between Easter and, and Pentecost. So again, why did the earlier Christians make such a positive big deal about it? Well, the first reason that the Ascension is really good news for us is because the departure of Jesus signals the arrival of the Holy Spirit. In one of his final conversations with his disciples, Jesus actually says this, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. It's for your good that I'm going away because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. As long as Jesus was physically present on earth, he could only be in one place. He could only be with one group of people at a time. But when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, Jesus could now be with anybody, anywhere, at all times. He's with me right now. He's with you right where you are right now. Jesus is over here. He's over there through the power of his spirit. He's with Christians all over planet Earth right now, teaching his word, comforting us in our pains, empowering us with gifts, every bit as significantly as the earthly Jesus once did with only a small band of disciples in one tiny little corner of the world. And if you need empirical evidence that this is true, that the leaving of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit made a dramatically greater impact possible, just picture again that tiny band of disciples gathered there on that ascension day staring at a vast world with no knowledge of the kingdom of God or the ways of Jesus, and think of the world today. More than 2,000 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, leaving behind that tiny band of believers, there are now 2.382 billion followers of Jesus on this planet. People who are committed to following the way of Jesus Christ, many of them meeting today to listen for his teaching, to draw on his comfort, to be filled afresh with his power, and that doesn't count the billions of other people that Jesus has met and shaped and brought into eternal relationship with God through his Holy Spirit in the generations before ours. This is one reason why it is very good that Jesus ascended. But it's important to remember, I think, 
that Jesus didn't just go up or just disappear. He went somewhere particular. He ascended into heaven, the creed says. Now I know that when some of us hear that word heaven, particular images come to our mind. Uh, we think maybe of some place up in the clouds or we picture some kind of divine Disney world or in our most exhausted moments, it's the ultimate spa that we'll get to one day. But biblically speaking, the word heaven means the invisible place where God is fully known and fully obeyed. It's a place where he is fully experienced and where his will is perfectly done. It's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as it's already being done in heaven. Some of us, I think, also have this tendency to think of Jesus as being really quite busy when he was here on the earth, uh, going from place to place, healing and teaching and doing all of these wonderful things. But now, as he's gone off to heaven, he's sort of retired. Jesus is more or less retired. Uh, he's like somebody who was a great CEO when he was here, but since he's moved on, he's mostly resting or he's playing some heavenly pastime or he's just finally admiring the great view from heaven. Oh, he was a serious player once, but he's no longer in the game. Check your own perceptions on this. How easy is it to start to think of Jesus in those ways? This is, of course, not what the Bible teaches at all. At the start of the book, we call the Acts of the Apostles, the book's writer, Luke, who is the same doctor who wrote the gospel according to Luke, says this, and these are important words for us. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Did you catch the important phrase there? all that he began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Luke is telling us that what we read about in the Gospels is not the end of the Jesus story. It's just the beginning of all that Jesus is going to do and to teach. And this points up the second reason why the ascension is, I think, really great news. It means that Jesus is now at work from the highest place of power and influence possible. In human terms, Jesus did not retire. Jesus did not even redeploy. Jesus was promoted. <laughs> he was so faithful and effective in his work on earth, Scripture says, that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And the reason why the historic church gave as much or more attention to Ascension Day as they did to Christmas or Easter is because they understood that the uh, incarnation of Jesus in that manger or the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus from that empty tomb were simply preludes to the even more important reality that now Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, which is to say 
He's on the throne. He's taken the seat of ultimate power now. He was vulnerable on earth. He's in the place of the highest authority now. And at this very moment, when you and I are sitting right here where we are, Jesus is actively directing the affairs and the advancement of his kingdom everywhere. He has given disciples like you and like me a very important role to play in the work of his kingdom and in the affairs of this planet for sure, but Jesus has not transferred authority in heaven and on earth to human proxies. What did Jesus say as he was about to commission the disciples? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to whom? To him, he still has it. He has not left the world up to human beings alone. He's Lord, he's directing it all. He's reigning in power over this creation and he has promised that in his time and in his way, his kingdom will come, his will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven right now. Think about this. Think about the implications of this. British scholar N.T. Wright says, to embrace the ascension is to heave a sigh of relief. It's to give up the struggle to be God and with it the inevitable despair we feel at our constant failure. And it's to enjoy our status as creatures, image-bearing creatures, but creatures nonetheless. Here's what I think it means for you and me. As we live continually today within the influence of the greatest anxiety-creating machinery ever to exist on planet Earth, the great media and political engines of our time, leaving us in a constant state of exhaustion and worry to hold our attention, to gain market share, as we live in that kind of a context, we don't need to be thrown into a tizzy. We don't need to be overtaken and overrun by those who say that the sky is falling or conspiracies are everywhere. We don't need to panic because things are messy and conflicts are happening and they are. Jesus told us it would be this way. In this world you will suffer. There will be stupidity. There will be sin. But be brave, he says, because I've overcome the world. I'm in control of this world. I've already begun the process by which evil will be subdued. So our job, men and women and children, is to be courageous. Our job is to be faithful. His job is to be king. Because he is. Because he's capable of it. I find this encouraging. I hope you find it encouraging but it's not all that the Apostles' Creed tells us that is. We're also told that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. If you know anything about Jesus, then you know how much his relationship with his heavenly Father meant to him. There were probably two subjects Jesus dwelled on more than anything, 
in his teaching, if you go back and, and look at it carefully. Uh, one was the kingdom, the nature of the life that he was bringing into being here on earth. And the other was the character of his dad, the character of his father. During his earthly ministry, he was always talking about his Abba, the Aramaic word for dad. From the story of the prodigal son to the many uh, tales he told about kings and masters of various kinds, most of Christ's parables were aimed at helping people to understand the heart of his heavenly father. He said to his disciples once, I came from the Father and entered into the world. I am leaving now the world and going back to the Father. Jesus was so excited about returning to his Father in heaven. In fact, he was excited about ascending into heaven because that's where his dad was. That's where his father was. And the joy of the reunion he was anticipating with his father is just a foretaste of the ultimate reunion you're going to have or communion you're going to have if you put your trust in Christ with that same heavenly father. In my father's house, there are many rooms and I am going there to prepare a place for you I don't know all of what heaven is going to be like, but I have this image of us getting there and Jesus comes up to us and he greets us. He's got this huge grin on his face and this utter expression of love and delight and he throws his arms around us in this welcoming embrace and we feel like we are home in a way that only the greatest experiences of home we had in this world could even give us a tiny taste of. And then Jesus steps back from the embrace and he looks into our eyes and he says with such joy and anticipation, now you've got to meet my dad. He's been waiting for you. This is where Jesus is now. This is the place to which Jesus ascended. Heaven is a place that is defined by the glorious presence of the most amazing Father, someone with whom the Son has an unimaginably intimate communion. And this is why it is such good news, thirdly, that Jesus ascended because Christ is now home with his Father and he is preparing a place for us, for our homecoming. Not so much a literal room with four walls as a place in our Heavenly Father's heart forever. But there's even more good news. The ascension is also good because now Jesus is interceding with the Father on our behalf. I am nothing close to the character of the Heavenly Father. I pray to grow in that character more and more. I need to grow more and more. I, I, I'm not like that Heavenly Dad, but with some regularity, one of my boys will come to me and intercede on behalf of one of their friends. 
Uh, a dad, one of them will say, you know, so-and-so is trying to get into this school, and, and, I, and I was just wondering, would, would you be open to writing a recommendation for her? She's nervous. She doesn't want to ask. Do you mind writing that recommendation? Or, or Papa, you know so-and-so. Well, he could really use some advice right now. Could, could, could you set aside some time to, to, to talk with him? Or so-and-so need, needs a job or he needs an introduction or some kind of financial help. Dad, could you give that? Could you help with that? And most of the time, I know who so-and-so is. They've been in our house. We've been at their house. I've watched them grow up. I'm thrilled to help out in any way because I love that particular person too. But because it is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, who is asking me to extend this grace, I can't wait to answer that request. Do you see where I'm going? (laughs) Do you see what it means? That Jesus is interceding for you with the Heavenly Father The Apostle Paul says, Christ, Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And what that means is that if you are a friend of Jesus, which is, by the way, just another word for a disciple, then you have got power on high working for you The scriptures say that Jesus is our high priest. He is our mediator. He is the one who goes between us and the heavenly father for our benefit. When the day of judgment finally comes and we're there at the the mercy seat and the enemy, the Satan, is the great accuser and he's calling out all of the reasons why God should deny us. Jesus will be standing there interceding on our behalf his hands nail-pierced, having done the Father's will. And we don't have to worry about the verdict because of that reality. All of this is to say, as Pastor Tim Suttle observes, that the ascension is not an optional add-on to the story. It's not a piece that we may choose to discuss if we have any time after dealing with the important parts. The ascension, says Subtle, is critical. The ascension is when the king rules. It's when the priest represents. It's when the spirit comes. It's when the people serve. It's when the future shines with the brilliance of God's plan. Jesus didn't just ride off into the sunset leaving us to clean up the mess that he left behind. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father so that God's plans could be accomplished. And once we really understand this, says Subtle, we'll agree that it was truly better for us that Jesus should go. Do you see that now a little bit more? Does this make sense to you? 
The biblical story of Ascension Day ends with those 12 disciples not yet fully getting it. The text says they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Take your eye off the balloon, they said. Or in other words, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. The story is told of a little boy who was out one day flying a new kite. And as the gusts began to build, they carried the kite higher and higher and higher into the sky until the colors of the kite actually disappeared in the mists above. An adult came along and saw the little boy standing there and he asks that kind of crushing question. How do you know the kite is still attached to the string? And without taking his eyes off the sky, the little boy replied, because I can feel it pull. Ray Pritchard writes, the same is true for us today. Christ is pulling us. He's pulling us towards heaven, our eternal home. We may not see him with our eyes, but we feel the tug in our hearts. We know where he is, and that where he is, we will someday be. Every day, Jesus tugs on our hearts, pulling us up, so that when we finally get there, we will not feel like strangers. One day, the Lord will return, or before then, He'll give us one final tug and we'll end up in the place to which he has ascended. Beloved, would you please pray with me? Almighty God, whose blessed Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Mercifully give us faith to perceive that according to his promise, he abides still with his church on earth, even to the end of the ages, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen.